Welcome to Everyday Nonviolence, Extraordinary People Speaking Truth to Power. This podcast is developed by Friends for a Nonviolent World, FNVW, whose mission is to champion nonviolence as the foundation for effective programs and actions to promote the dignity of every living being. Violence impacts us all. Our goal here is to give voice to people who are working to use active nonviolence those who have experienced violence, and those who have committed acts of violence. Each week, we'll hear stories that will deepen our understanding of violence and the principles of nonviolence. Today's host is Jen Hamrick, licensed social worker and executive director of Friends for a Nonviolent World. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Ale Peters, founder of and executive director for Can Do Canines, a nonprofit organization based in the Twin Cities that provides assistance dogs to individuals with disabilities. Today, we'll be talking with Al about the organization, including their collaboration with the corrections community. Can you start by describing how and why Can Do Canines came into existence? Well, I founded Can Do Canines in 1987 after learning that there were more than 55,000 people in Minnesota who could benefit from a hearing dog helping them know about sounds in their lives, yet on, only one or two hearing dogs were finding their way into the state each year. And at that time, I vowed to begin training and, and placing hearing dogs for people who needed them till everybody who needed one one could have one. And we're still working on that goal even now. We, at first, we used all shelter animals to become uh, assistance dogs. Then we kind of improved along the way or added additional skills by providing uh, mobility assist dogs uh, beginning in 1996. We began training diabetes assist dogs to help people with type 1 diabetes know when their blood sugar drops low. We began training service uh, seizure dogs in 2005. That's also the year, as it happens, that we started our work in the prisons, which I know we're going to talk about. And in 2007, we trained our first autism assist dog. So we trained those five different types of dogs, and we provide those dogs free of charge to people who need them. Uh, we've graduated 691 assistance dogs uh, wow. over the years. That's, I'm very proud of that, that. That's a phenomenal number. And I didn't realize kind of the scope of different areas that you trained dogs in. That's really amazing. And the inmates help, help us in all those areas, actually. They, they've learned to do uh, training in, in each, for each of those types of skills. So when did the notion of using prison inmates to raise and train assistant dogs become part of your approach and your work at Can Do Canines? In 2005, we had the opportunity to join forces with the Faribault State Prison. They had a small program where inmates in minimum security were training dogs from a local animal shelter to just make them more adoptable. But the animal shelter had so few resources that they could not provide the food and the care to continue that anymore. And the person who was volunteering as a trainer called us up and said, you know, maybe they could help you train service animals. And uh, we thought about it and said, well, we'll give that a try. And it worked out great. For, uh, for a long time, we continued to do that in minimum security. And then eventually, inside the razor wire, we had a, another five or seven dogs being trained. And we've since expanded that whole process quite a bit. We uh, uh, now train dogs in seven different prisons. Last year, in 2018, we had 177 inmates participate in our programs, and we trained 146 dogs across those seven prisons. In fact, in two of them, they help us to wean puppies from their moms. 
there, there are prisons that where the inmates are there for a relatively short time and they're there less than two years usually. And it doesn't make sense for us to train the inmates because that's because the training is kind of complicated because they're there such a short time. But the inmates are still anxious to help and to do something positive for the community. And weaning those puppies, it's a lot of work, but it's very, very rewarding at the same time. So tell us a little bit more about kind of the specific role that incarcerated people play with you know, sure. in this program and with training the dogs. Puppies come in at about 20 weeks of age. We want them to be as close to housebroken as they can be. Mm-hmm. So in some of the institutions, there's lockdown procedures, so they can't take the dog down outside at night. So having them housebroken just makes it this easier for everybody. So from 20 weeks on to uh, as, as much as 14 to 16 months of age, they're in prison, working with the inmates on a daily basis. We have a trainer who goes in weekly to teach the inmates new skills and to review what they've already been working with the dogs. And because the inmates have quite a bit of time, mm-hmm. a lot of our volunteers on the outside have kids and jobs and all kinds of other distractions where the inmates, they may have a job, but it's, it's limited by comparison. They do a wonderful job of preparing the dog. The only thing they can't do is take the dog for a car ride. They don't get to take the dog to Target. They don't get to take the dog to a movie or a baseball game. So we have other volunteers who will take the dog out at least every second weekend so that they get all that socialization too. And then they go back in for more training. The primary purpose of your organization is placement of assistance dogs with people who need them. But within this program, I imagine that there's also a lot of positive impacts that you can see on the incarcerated people. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that piece. We, we've had some uh, some amazing learning opportunities. In fact, we have a couple of a couple of videos. If you go to the, the YouTube area and ask about Candu Canines, there's some of them posted there. These people aren't necessarily the same folks that did something wrong years ago, and uh, and yet there's no way for them to to undo that. There's no way for them to pay back in most cases uh, what what happened. A lot of our inmates are going to be in for pretty close to their lifetimes and consequently going to learn auto shop or wood shop or anything for a future job is kind of purposeless. There's, mm-hmm. there's not a, a lot to that. So having the opportunity to interact with this dog and prepare it to change somebody else's life mm-hmm. is kind of a dream for a yeah. lot of them. They've just never had that opportunity before. But also having the responsibility for taking care of a dog. When you're in prison, you're responsible for yourself. I've had some inmates tell me that they they wouldn't let him be responsible for a plant prior to taking care of now this living creature who depends on him for food and a chance to go potty and where he's going to sleep and every single thing. So that dependency on them is is a really special privilege. The dogs also have a really great influence on other inmates. For example, my, the Stanley Prison has 1,500 inmates. It has five buildings of 300, and we're only in one-third of one building with the dogs. But those dogs go to the gym, they go to work with them, they go out into the, the central yard where people play ball and do all kinds of things. So the presence of dogs that aren't there to control drugs mm-hmm. or to control behavior but are there they're gentle creatures, loving creatures, uh, makes a huge difference. Just looking into a dog's eyes, uh, I believe it's serotonin that gets uh, released in your system uh, automatically, just looking into a dog's eyes. And so there's this little bit of normalcy in what is really a very abnormal kind of situation. There's also a bonding, I don't know if, maybe that's not the right word, but 
something special that happens in the relationship between the guards and the supervisors mm -hmm. and the inmates because it's now kind of a team deal. If the warden isn't in on this, if they're not believing in it, if the administration doesn't want to do this, it just doesn't happen. So mm -hmm. there are prisons where it would never occur. But if the warden's on board, the warden's assistant, the unit manager, uh, they all have to really want this. And they all kind of take a great deal of pride. In fact, because the inmates can't come to our graduations, we do a graduation mm -hmm. three times a year. And at those, the person who raised the puppy usually gets to go backstage with the, with the finished, graduated, mm -hmm. trained dog and spend a few minutes with it and then bring it up on stage and present it to the person with a disability. Obviously, the inmates don't get to do that. Although we have had one. We had one who gradu graduated or <laughs> was released and was able to come back and actually do the presentation. Uh, we had one other who we didn't know he was coming, but he, he came uh, just to watch the graduation. Mm -hmm. And then we found out kind of partway through that he was there. So uh, obviously, they take a lot of pride in what they've done. We send them a video so they can see that. We send them our newsletters. Our volunteers put together Christmas cards to send to the inmates, uh, thanking them for what they do. So there's a lot of, a, a lot of little ways that we're, we're able to pay back some of what they do. And it sounds, in addition to kind of the normalcy you were talking about, also just kind of the humanity of the trust and getting to connect with a loving life form, which a lot of times incarcerated people don't get, especially if they don't have connections to the outside. So that's really powerful work, Al. And, and a lot of, it seems that a lot of the people who are in prison uh, don't get a lot of visits, yeah. especially when you're talking about the federal prisons. They're not necessarily close to their families mm -hmm. and you know, coming to see them becomes a real, um, a real difficult thing to, to accomplish. There's also a, a, this sense of normalcy benefits the staff because there are many fewer uh, fights. The occasion for fights uh, of any kind, even just verbal battles, goes way down according to the staff. Now, I don't know if anybody's being scientific about it, but they know that that's one of the benefits that the staff gets back is a calmer environment, a little, again, a little more humane environment, but that rubs off on people. The men and women that participate in this program can't fight with anybody. If they do, if they have any kind of violation, this is usually the first, uh, first benefit that they would lose. And in this case, uh, I didn't go into this detail before, but every dog that's in training has two inmates working with them. So when you talk about violence, there, there's multiple kinds of violence. There's, you know, the physical violence, but there's also, uh, and I don't know, maybe violence is the wrong word, but there's conflict that occurs when you put people together who don't really want to be together. Now, in order to work on this one dog, two inmates have to share a cell with the dog. And uh, we've had done some interviewing of people and, you know, in one case they had very different values and they never talked to each other prior to the dog coming about. But now for the benefit of the dog, they have to work together as a team. And so they each have to know how to handle the dog. And part of the idea of two is that there's a backup. I was mentioning if this would be the first benefit that you would lose if you screwed up, if you had a fight, if you didn't show up on time, didn't do whatever you were supposed to do in a serious way. And so you would lose your roommate. You would lose your, you, you, they, they'd move you to a different part of the prison. Uh, you'd lose the dog. I mean, the whole thing would be terrible. And it doesn't happen very often, but there's once in a while where things do occur. So the, the motivation for not doing anything violent is really high. The other thing that's interesting for these guys is that most of them live by violence in one way or another in their past. 
it seems to be that's the way what they learned. You know, many people learned that as as children. They got hit when they did something wrong or when they weren't quite quite quick enough or whatever the the deal was. The punishment was whacking them. And mm-hmm. they sometimes brought those behaviors up to raising their own children. In fact, we've had many, many uh, inmates say, if I knew how to train positively when I was raising a child, I would have done a much better job when I was outside as a parent. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to see that as they take on these new skills with the dog. Of course, doing it with a human is a little bit more difficult. Uh, humans... tend to do what they want sometimes. (laughs) The dogs really want to make you happy and other humans not always the case. But uh, for for them to learn that through all positive, that they now they can't jerk the dog, they can't hit the dog, Mm -hmm. we don't yell at the dog. Uh, This is all positive reinforcement and that's a real change for Mm -hmm. a lot of these people. So what are some of the facts and figures about your organization, so our listeners have a general understanding of your scope and reach. Mm, okay. Well, we have a facility in New Hope where we train the dogs and uh, where we have our graduation events. Uh, it's a 25,000 square foot building on four acres of land, so we have a lot of uh, exercise area for the dogs. We've got 41 employees, and uh, last year we had 1,026 volunteers that helped us throughout the year. Every year we graduate, uh, this year we'll graduate between 55 and 60 new assistance dog teams. That's that's a partnership between a dog and a person with a disability. This year, by the way, is our 30th anniversary since we trained the very first dog. So uh, we're real proud of that and we're doing a lot of celebrating. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned before, but there, uh, we have 177 inmates in 2018 that worked with 146 different dogs, uh, helping to get them ready for, for uh, being placed with people with disability. Uh, and some of these, some of these guys have been doing it for a number of years now, and they're really, really good at it. Are there any challenges? Well, always challenges. Yeah, uh, we we give the dogs away free of charge, so uh, money's a challenge. Sure. Uh, the things we do uh, to go into the prisons to work with the inmates, uh, all those people get paid. Uh, we do have volunteers that help around it, but there have to be paid, knowledgeable staff that go in. So raising the money to do this is is always a challenge, and mm-hmm. it's been a challenge since the beginning. But we feel that giving the dogs away free of charge is really important for the people with disabilities because if we tell them that they have to pay or they have to raise the money themselves, then there certainly would be some people that would be excluded completely from mm-hmm. service. So uh, not all, all organizations are the same that way, but uh, we've taken the attitude that uh, it needs to be free, and the people who can pay usually will step up and help us in one way or another, not necessarily pay the whole cost because it is quite expensive to do what we do. So that's one big challenge. Another one is having enough volunteers on the outside to do their part. As well as raising the dogs in prison, we want to raise some of them outside in people's homes. And those people, like I said before, they're kind of busy. You know, they've got kids and they've got uh, lives, they've got work to do. And uh, it's hard to find people to volunteer because this is kind of a full-time job in a way. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have to be handling that dog all the time, but there's a lot of responsibilities. Getting up in the morning, feeding them, walking them, getting them outside, exercising, training. And that's true as for the inmates too, but their lives are, uh, are a little more structured and they don't have as many daily responsibilities, I think, as, as some people have. So so those are challenges. And as far as the prisons go, the, there's some challenge in, in terms of convincing wardens mm. that this is a good thing, that, it's, that this is going to benefit the organization there more than it's going to take up staff time or 
confuse things because they do have to make an investment of staff. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't spend any money otherwise doing this. Uh, we provide the food and the crates and everything else to take care of them and the training, but they do have to have somebody on the inside to be responsible if the dog's sick. If the dog has to go to the vet at 3 a.m. because it cut its paw, they've got to have somebody assigned to that. And we have to know ahead of time who it is. Uh, they have to have somebody assigned to getting those dogs out into the homes of volunteers on the weekends. And all of that takes time, takes effort, takes some organization. So they do have to make that kind of investment. So those are those are things that are, are ongoing challenges for us. Are there other ways assistant dogs can prevent or reduce violence? Any examples that you could talk about? Yeah, as, as well as uh, reducing the violence that uh, inmates experience in prison, um, I guess you could say that they reduce violence outside because the presence of a dog offers a sense of protection to our clients. And many of our clients physically don't have, uh, you know, have the wherewithal to protect mm-hmm. themselves. Uh, they may be old, they may be using uh, wheelchairs or whatever. And the bad guys who are out in the street think twice about approaching somebody with a dog. And it might be, uh, some of our hearing dogs are only little 10-pound poodles, but they could bite them in the ankle or mm-hmm. bark and draw attention. So um, the, the bad guys think, think twice about uh, approaching uh, anybody with a dog. So that's a, a reduction in violence, I think. And I think uh, having a dog in your home also just, it tends to soothe people. So in whatever family situation that dog is, is entering, I think it makes a big difference. I know for our children with autism, while it may not be exactly violence, it's more on the end of, of anxiety or nervousness or overstimulation. The dogs really calm the family. They calm the child. Most of these kids could never fly on an airplane, for example, and be confined for an hour or two or three. And uh, once they interact with a dog, they learn to use the dog to calm themselves down. The dog will lay on them or lick them, whatever is helpful for them. So th- those are some ideas of ways that dogs uh, uh, certainly affect people emotionally and I think calm them down or eliminate some potential violence. Do dogs ever not graduate the program? Like, do they just like not take to the training? Is that a possibility? Absolutely. Just like people, you know, not everybody who goes to college or or high school finishes. Uh, We we have dogs that, uh, we don't have any failures in our dogs. We have career change dogs. (laughs) I love that. It's a little bit like... uh, uh, like little league baseball, everybody gets a ribbon, everybody gets a trophy. You know? <laughs> so they're they're all good dogs, and they all do a good job for somebody. But sometimes that means being a pet. Sometimes that might mean being a drug sniffer, working with the police departments. That doesn't happen a lot, but it does sometimes. In fact, we placed one dog recently. When you talk about violence uh, reduction, too, I hadn't thought about this, but uh, we just placed a dog with the Orono Police Department. And uh, while they have dogs that they use for like crowd control or drugs, this dog has none of those responsibilities. This dog's job is to, is to go to a difficult situation where somebody's died or there's some, some kind of terrible thing that's just happened, a fire or whatever, and work with the officers to calm the situation. To, and he's got specific skills to work with children or with adults who are there to rest his head on their lap to, to help them stay calm in a really difficult situation. So, Al, is there anything else that you would like us and our listeners to know about can-do canines? Well, I think it's important that people know that uh, supporting the organization, either as a volunteer or as a contributor, is really important. We can't do this without contributions. We don't get any government money. So it's individuals that support this work. And most people who hear about it and and, uh, learn about what we're doing like it. 
And especially if they're a dog lover, they have some appreciation. What we do is create really special relationships for people who really are kind of on the fringe and are kind of left out otherwise that allow these, these people with disabilities to be more involved in the world and allow these inmates to, to do something special for them. So, uh, Probably the only thing I would do beyond that is I'd invite them to come and learn about Can Do Canines. We, every month we do uh, a one-hour tour um, uh, where you get to come and take a look in our kennels and see a, see a video about the organization, take a look in, the, in some of the training rooms, hear from one of our graduates who has a dog, and hear from one of our puppy raisers who's raising a dog. Unfortunately, we can't bring the inmates in, otherwise we would do that too. So you, you learn a little bit about opportunities to either volunteer or to contribute or to maybe be involved in some other way. And then three times a year, we, we graduate these dogs. We will graduate 15 to 20 of these assistance dog teams, the person and the dog together. We have the puppy raisers. Sometimes for the inmates, that means it's the warden or their supervisor from their unit who has to come and represent them. But they'll go backstage with the dog, grown dog now, fully grown and trained, and then present the dog on stage to the person with a disability. And believe me, we make a lot of money selling Kleenexes that, that day. We sell them for $5 a piece. That's how we raise all the money we need. No, I'm kidding about that. But it really is a very touching circumstance, and people really do cry a lot. And then people get to have cake and coffee together, so these puppy raisers then get to meet the people whose life they've changed. And we do that for the inmates, too, by the way. Um, we can't do it very often, especially because some of these places, Stanley, Wisconsin's two, two and a half hours away. Jackson's, I think, three and a half hours so we can't go all the time, but we try pretty much on an annual basis to have one of the clients, it may not be a dog that they trained even, but we'll have a client go there and tell them why this is so important and how it's changed their life. And they see a little demonstration of how the finished dog works so they can kind of understand why they, why they do what they do. So I mean, we show them videos and things too, but seeing it firsthand really makes a big difference. So anyway, we'd invite your listeners to, to come to one of our graduations. Another way to learn about us is to uh, stop at our website, uh, CanDoCanines.org. Uh, we've got a lot of opportunities there. We talk about the uh, the different kinds of dogs we train because I just barely mentioned that. There's a lot of information about that. All the different ways that people can help, both uh, many volunteer opportunities. Sometimes it's something unique that a person knows how to do. That's that's the reason that they volunteer with us. Sometimes it's being a puppy raiser. Sometimes it's taking a dog for walks. We have people who come in every day to walk our dogs because the trainers can only spend so much time with each one, and those dogs need a lot of attention. They're uh, very, very loving beings, and they need uh, they need to get out, and they need to, and they need to get exercise too, because they're nice young dogs. So there's just all kinds of opportunities, and the website lists uh, lists a lot of that. So that's CanDoCanines.org. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'll really appreciate you taking the time and thank you for the work you do. It's really inspiring to hear you talk about it. Thank you for saying that. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Everyday Nonviolence extraordinary people speaking truth to power. To learn more about Friends for a Nonviolent World and the work that we do, please visit our website, fnvw.org, or give us a call at 651-917-0383.